0: I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdreemily.com slash schools to get started. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King child psychologist and former school psychologist, and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdrimily.substack.com or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. Today we are talking about why mistakes overwhelm neurodivergent kids, probably more than a neurotypical child you are raising or teaching, and how can we help them? So if you read my Substack blog this week, you've already read some of this, but I am going to talk us through it and add some stories and elaborate on a few ideas so that you can put this all together as you're listening. So I have yet to meet a person who just loves making mistakes. Even for adults who know that mistakes lead to growth, our nervous system's first response to a mistake is one of surprise and usually disappointment. We don't see it coming. No one intends to make a mistake, so we're thrown off when it happens. So we have to adjust, whether that's to clean something up that was spilled or go get a Band-Aid for a child or for ourselves, or try the task again if we're trying something and it didn't work. But whatever has happened, our plan has been interrupted, which means our brain has been interrupted. It's only natural to have a feeling about this. It's like our flow getting interrupted. Like when the phone rings or you have a child interrupt you and you're in the middle of a great thought, you might lose that thought. So, Mistakes interrupt our plan and break us out of our routine and things that we were predicting were going to happen next. So as adults, we know the immense value of mistakes. So when mistakes happen, we have delayed gratification that motivates us to accept the fact of, oh, this is a mistake. We can reflect on it. What did I learn from this? We have executive functioning skills that can predict that there might be a better outcome later if I try again. But kids don't have that perspective yet. So let me explain. So scientists exactly are the best at making mistakes because even when a hypothesis is incorrect, it's valuable information. Mistakes are so normalized in the scientific community that getting it wrong is expected many more times than getting it right. Yet for the rest of us, our amygdala, where our emotions are located in our brain, has pretty uncomfortable feelings about mistakes. Even though we know that mistakes are how we learn, because we've lived long enough as adults to see that over time that's true, we still have a brief, uncomfortable, disappointed feeling about a mistake. But we know that making that mistake is going to lead to maybe adjusting our plan to improve things in the future. So in other words, we learn from experience. But children lack that life experience to fully embrace the delayed gratification needed to believe that mistakes are helpful. Not only do they lack the life experience, but they also lack the attention span. And it's hard for them to think about tomorrow or trying again. They just want it done well right now. And every child goes through this, no matter what kind of development they have. There's in neurotypical development. Every child goes through a developmental period where they must learn that arc of change that comes from being faced with something that's too hard, needing the motivation to keep coming back to try again, and then the satisfaction of mastering that skill. Most children are able to face these attempts to try again, which only lets them keep practicing their skills And it also helps their brain get exposed to the feeling of disappointment. So they experience the disappointment when making the mistakes, and then they're rewarded for their hard work to yield a better outcome. But what if your hard work does not yield a better outcome? So let's view this through the lens of a neurodivergent child with skill weaknesses due to a diagnosis of autism or ADHD, could be anxiety or a learning difference or a sensory processing difference. Think about too if your child has very asynchronous skills or you have a student with very asynchronous skills and they're really great in one area but struggle in another, they may have assumptions about thinking they should be good at everything, which can definitely increase frustration with mistakes when it happens. So imagine the child who loses their things often. So for a neurotypical child who loses their things, they will receive a natural consequence, something that naturally occurs in life, of just not having the thing when it's needed. And over time, they will learn to recall where their things are or to remember to pack it next time to avoid the inconvenience of not having it. And this skill will improve naturally over time. That's learning by experience. So this is how we develop executive functioning skills. So by making a mistake, feeling inconvenienced by it, and then improving the next time. Yet a child with ADHD is going to lose their things more often and likely not have the attention span to remember or organization skills to think ahead for the next time to improve that situation independently. Therefore the mistake happens over and over again. And this is where all the adults are nodding their head and they're like, yep, that's that's my kid. That's my student. I've seen that many times. And as adults, we get really frustrated, especially if our child is really smart in other areas. Like they have great verbal skills. They can do high-level math, but they can't remember their water bottle. Um, so the neurotypical child is naturally rewarded by the satisfaction of solving that problem while the child with ADHD continues to experience the stress of not having the lost item, which leads to that child becoming increasingly sensitive with making this mistake. In the mind of an ADHD child, hard work is not yielding a better outcome. These kids tend to engage in lots of negative self-talk, and it's hard to understand when you hear it what it's connected to, but just listen carefully, because usually they start to feel like, why am I good at this thing and not good at that other thing. So they could be an advanced reader and never be able to find their book. And that to a child doesn't quite make sense until we explain that those two skills are very different. If a child's saying, oh, I'm I'm not smart. They are very smart in certain areas and they need support being able to keep up with their belongings. Okay. So let's imagine the child who makes an unintentional error on a math problem. So I had an awesome member of my audience, a parent, send me a message because this post originally said a careless error. And I want to reflect on that a minute because we are all learning. I think in education, it's very normalized to say careless error. Or even as parents, we're like, you made a careless error on your math. What we mean is you were probably working too quickly or weren't paying close attention or maybe didn't go back over your work. You didn't intentionally make that error. But I think we need to pay attention to the words we're using because all of our kids care. They want to learn. They want to get better. They look like they don't care when something is hard for them because it is easier to look like you don't care sometimes than to actually do the hard thing. So I want to be careful with that word careless and making careless errors because I don't want kids to get the repetitive message from us as adults that they don't care. Um, Because I do believe that they do. So I'm going to use unintentional error for this example. And I encourage you to think about when you're using that word. So a neurotypical child who makes an unintentional error is likely going to accept feedback from a teacher or a parent to check over their work and learn the process of catching that mistake the next time. So that's the system we use as we do our work you know, I I write my blogs, I read over them. Sometimes I have someone else read over them. You can't always catch mistakes unless you intentionally try to do it. We're all human. So you have to teach them that process of catching their mistake next time. Yet if a student with inattention, anxiety, or just difficulty doing math on paper and they can do it in their head a lot faster, they're not gonna be motivated to write it down, you're likely to get an error on paper for those kids. Many more times than neurotypical peers. So each time they do this, it's not because they're not trying hard enough or because they aren't smart enough in math. It's likely because they need a strategy to support their attention span. So the kid in this situation knows they're smart. So it doesn't make sense that they continue making this mistake in their work. They might forget to write the answer down, but they know they got to the answer. So making these mistakes becomes increasingly annoying to the child. And they also are feeling the adult's annoyance. So the annoyance tends to be higher when we have expectations, especially for our twice exceptional kids, that we know they understand the math, but they're not writing it down. So they feel our frustration. They feel frustrated with themselves. And they're faster to become upset. They might break pencils, rip paper, and frustration in these instances. I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The Regulation Roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it, and the Reframing Behavior Worksheet helps you problem-solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to LearnWithDrEmily.com slash roster or LearnWithDrEmily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. Okay. One more example, imagine the child with such high anxiety that they have a need to control themselves, but that's not quite enough. They still have anxiety. And so then they start trying to control others. So this can have um, negative ripple effects socially, but it's helpful to teach these kids how to manage anxiety when they're being bossy, controlling, Um, usually the root of that is anxiety about not being in charge or not being in control. Sometimes that's a personality thing, but when it goes into that child wanting friends and not being able to keep friends and not being able to change that behavior, usually it's anxiety that is somewhat out of their control. So some children experience such high anxiety that not only do they want to make sure they don't make a mistake, but they are also distressed when other kids make a mistake. So some kids can master the idea that they can control their mistakes. And these are the kids that are perfectionistic and the adults that are perfectionistic. Perfectionism is a coping strategy for anxiety. Many people are functionally perfectionistic, meaning that it doesn't take so much time that you miss a meeting or you miss picking your kid up from school um, some people know their perfectionistic tendencies and have to actively work on stepping away from a project when it is, quote unquote, good enough. Um, but experience, experiencing these high levels of anxiety can also happen when their peers make mistakes or siblings make mistakes or even parents break a rule or interrupt their play or their work or sometimes if a parent uses a stern tone with a classmate, I mean, with a sibling or a teacher uses a stern tone with a classmate, that child is affected by that tone, even if it doesn't have the the situation doesn't have anything to do with them. For instance, some children I work with will feel anxious when their peers are in trouble due to experiencing just the tone of voice in the room. Um, Or if the entire class is asked to not talk and get to work. Many students just know their teacher means business and they need to get back to work, but some highly anxious kids can feel bothered and they can feel the teacher's aggravation. So we just want to take some extra care and reminding that child that they are not in trouble, that they have not made a mistake, but it is helpful for them to, uh, for the whole class to not talk so everyone can concentrate. The only way for some children to control what they're doing is to, or their anxiety is to try to control and prevent others from creating those interactions. And that's where some of that behavior comes from. And many typically developing children will adapt to the learning process simply by trial and error. They will have the occasional setback and upset, and they will learn from them. And then they step it up, The next time that situation comes and they're learning again from experience, being upset by something once or twice and then correcting or learning a better way, that's all a part of childhood. That's supposed to happen. There are times when we're uncomfortable and we do it wrong and we're maybe embarrassed once or twice and we figure out a different way. However, our kids with skill weaknesses. They need an adult and a system around them to help them bridge that gap between where they're starting on their learning journey and where they want to be. And where they want to be is satisfied and proud of mastering a skill, but they probably can't get there without our help. So when a neurodivergent child is highly frustrated at making a mistake, try these ideas for support. Okay, first, create a system for them. For many kids, trying, again, once or twice will just lead to success. But when it doesn't, we need to show kids a new way that they can practice on their own moving forward. For children who lose things, for instance, they need to learn that everything has a home. And those items live in its quote-unquote home when they are not using them. So for an example, let's start with shoes. Does your child have a spot, a home for their shoes. If not, creating one will reinforce that that's where the shoes stay and your mornings will go smoother. And that's true for the water bottles and the folders and the backpacks. Every teacher knows everything in the classroom has a home. We can't just tell children to do this. We have to create a system and show them, which leads um, to the next step. Of making it visual. One of my favorite strategies from my colleague, Kristen Bauhoff, is to take actual cutouts of the shapes that outline of your child's shoes, shoe prints, and have them in a visual on the floor where they match their shoes to um, cut out paper of their shoe prints that is either laminated or like a placemat on the floor in a closet or in a mudroom. So making it visual helps you talk less in those routines, which reduces conflict and helps build a child's independence because they can do it without you reminding them or without you showing them. So a common misconception about visuals is that visuals are only for very young children, Or for those who are developing language later than expected. But the truth is we all interact with visuals every day, all day long. And nonverbal communication is one of the most effective ways to um, connect with each other. So to support attention weaknesses, we need to create lists to increase independence and decrease conflict with our kids and um, between kids and parents. We can create work plan checklists That include completing tasks. We can complete checklists for morning routines and bedtime routines. We can have work plan checklists for checking over homework, checking over classwork, and then telling an adult when it's done or asking an adult when they need help. If a child is anxious about mistakes, make sure that they know that they are allowed to have more time. So giving a child more time is going to reduce the pressure. So most emotional upset from mistakes comes from the added anxiety of getting it right the first time without the time for a redo. There is always time for children to have a redo. So build in more time for practicing, getting dressed, brushing teeth, packing up in the morning. Um, All of that will lead to more practice time and less stress. So I always recommend practicing daily routines and skills on the weekend when you're not in a rush. And then when that skill is solid, like a child getting dressed or a child putting shoes on, then you roll that out on your weekday morning schedule. Teach them the power of yet. So many classrooms have embraced teaching the concept of a growth mindset. But for our younger and more concrete learners, that idea can feel a little abstract to yield change right away. So I want you to think about when a child knows that you believe that they just haven't figured it out yet, they're going to keep working because they trust that you know something that they don't know and they want to get there. So this idea helps the stress level go down about the time frame and helps them focus on the practice. So neurodivergent children develop on their own timetable. Everyone listening knows that, that we can't always predict when a skill is going to click for them. But brains develop. I've seen it over and over again in my psychology practice and with my own kids. Kids mature. They are looking to you as the parent to believe that they will eventually be able to do it. Remind your child how far they've come. When I work with kids who engage in negative self-talk or who have become so down that they believe they're terrible at everything, I will challenge them to think about themselves as a baby. You can look back at pictures or videos to prove your point. Um, So no one is born learning to walk, talk, or read. Many kids will laugh when I have them imagine riding a scooter when they were like 18 months old. As adults, we know that kids grow and learn over time with practice, but we need to remind and really teach our neurodivergent kids that they are growing and learning every single day and that they're making progress, that their brains are rapidly growing and learning from every single experience, which includes mistakes. Okay, y'all. So we have to help our kids feel safe when trying new things and find their motivation to keep going. And since neurodivergent kids don't come with a roadmap, I created one where you can keep learning with me for more ideas. So keep listening for more information about my parent course coming up, Parenting on Your Own Path, where I share all my ideas in the journey of raising your neurodivergent child. And you can join the waitlist at learnwithdreemily.com slash parents. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast. For more resources, including both parent and teacher courses, visit learnwithdremily.com or read my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence, All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.